This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. It is college application time, and high school seniors and their parents are agonizing over which colleges to apply to, which colleges to visit, which colleges are going to accept the application, and of course, whether to apply to college at all. To help them out, Michael Horn, a senior partner of Entangled Solutions and distinguished fellow at the Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovation, has written a compelling new book entitled Choosing College, How to Make Better Learning Decisions Throughout Your Life. So I'm very pleased to have Michael Horn with me on the Education Exchange uh, today. Thank you, Michael, for joining me. Thanks for having me here, Paul. So, Michael, colleges have become much more expensive than they were 25 years ago. Uh, every presidential candidate is telling us about the crushing college debts that are out there. So isn't the first big choice a high school senior has to make whether or not to go to college at all? Yeah, I think it's right. If you believe uh, the popular narrative in Washington, D.C., everyone should go to college. Uh, but I, I think that flies in the face of the evidence, which is that a lot of students, they go to college, they find out for a variety of reasons it's not the right fit for them, they drop out. And uh, despite the narrative of student debt being this soul-crushing thing that interrupts your life. For many students, it's a very good investment if you graduate. The real challenge, the evidence seems to be, is if you don't graduate and you've taken on debt, then you don't get the earnings boost from the degree and you have debt, and then it becomes really hard to repay. And that's where a lot of the defaults that we read about, uh, it actually happens with small amounts of debt taken out where the student didn't graduate. That's a crushing reason. And so if you think you might fall into that category uh, or because you don't have the intrinsic motivation for college at this time in your life, you see something in your current situation that prohibits you from committing what you need to to college, uh, then it might not be the right fit right now. So that raises two questions in my mind. The first one is, well, I, I, I thought you earned a lot more money if you actually go to college and and get the degree. So you're giving up a quite a bit if you've got the talent to go to college and you decide not to do that. Yeah, I, so absolutely. If you can get through college and graduate, there is a, a you know, there's a good return on investment, so to speak. Uh, it's slipping some, by the way, uh, in recent uh, Fed data. Uh, it used to be uh, well over 15% uh, return uh, over time, and now it looks like it's about down to 14%. And so that seems to be coming down a little bit. More recent graduates uh, seem to be underemployed in many cases, so working in a first job that does not actually, in fact, require the credential that they've just earned. So they're starting to become a bunch of anomalies to this sort of narrative that you have to go and get ahead. But on average, it's right that if you graduate, you're going to earn more money. Yeah, well, a lot of people start with a first job that's not the best job, in the, uh, but they, they, well, so they they've develop done into it. So right. They've done longitudinal studies on this, yeah. though, which is that if you, if you start with a first job that does not require the degree, you're fifth job tends to not uh, tends to be significantly underperformed from your peers that will have a, a job that does require that first degree and uh, the difference in salary compounds over time of about ten thousand uh, dollars a year uh, in in the delta and it, it compounds on itself it seems like it was less of a problem a generation ago and now has become a significant one these sort of false starts into the economy well that's all terribly interesting but how about the, uh, the those who don't finish 
Uh, well, first of all, how many students don't finish? What's the percentage there? Yeah, so roughly 40% of students do not graduate from a four-year program after six years. And so they might complete some time later, but uh, about 40% is what you're looking at from four-year programs. If you're looking at two-year programs, it's abominable. It's over 70% of students are not finishing a two-year program within a f within four-year time span. And uh, a lot of those students don't transfer, we know, either to four-year colleges and earn that degree. So that's an amazing figure, 70%. So actually, you're more likely to finish if you apply to a four-year college than a two-year college, despite the fact that the two-year college is only half as long. Yeah, and of course, there's a selection bias in there. It might be assumed that people who go to a four-year college to begin with uh, have more assets from an intellectual uh, life perspective uh, and, and a stability that allows them to complete uh, so it's hard to know, you know, what, what, what's causing what, if you will, in all of this. But the point is that a two-year college is not always a great investment in terms of time. So what percentage of high school seniors actually uh, go to college at least for one day? Yeah, so roughly 70% of high school graduates end up enrolling uh, in college uh, when, when they finish the high school experience. Some of them that don't enroll right away may maybe come back to college later. And we, we know that there's a significant adult population of students above the age of 24 uh, that enroll in post-secondary education. And it's around 35 to 40% of the population. Uh, so people come back to college at a different stage in their life, but it's around 70% that go direct uh, from high school into college. Well, so that even now there's 30% uh, of the high school graduates are choosing not to go to college. Do you think that, number, that percentage should go up? So it's, it's a tricky thing. I guess I'd say in our current economy, there's advantages, obviously, to going to college and getting that degree. There's a lot of social capital that accrues if you go to the right college. But I think what we've done as a society over the last 40 years is really narrow the number of pathways available to people that didn't think college was the right fit. So in the 1970s, if you didn't go right to college, there tended to be a reasonable job that you could probably get uh, through a vocational pathway. There tended to be apprenticeship pathways that would get you into a reasonable job. Uh, there were a lot of different ways through the economy. Now it's sort of the military, which is less than 1% of students uh, from a population perspective, or college is sort of what the narrative has become. I think, though, the exciting thing is we're living in a really exciting time right now in, in education where there's just a burst of new programs emerging on, these, on the scene, college alternatives, in effect, that are faster, cheaper, and they are a hard sprint into that first job, and they might last a year or so uh, in duration. And they really wrap their hands around you to make sure you'll get that first job and get a lot of social capital. So these college alternatives, I'm hopeful, will change the narrative and give us a lot more possibilities and pathways uh, into a productive first job. So can you put some flesh on those bones? That's a fascinating uh, set of ideas there. But give me a, 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 a story or, yeah, or two absolutely. that will uh, about some of these alternative pathways. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a school in Indiana called the Kenzie Academy. Uh, it's in the uh, Midwest uh, where where that doesn't get a lot of attraction from investment, but an entrepreneur there realized that there was lots of coding jobs that uh, companies would love to hire in lower cost places in the United States. So places like Indiana uh, created the Kenzie Academy. It's an income share agreement. Uh, so you don't pay any money up front uh, to attend. You pay a percentage of your future salary back to the institution. Uh, and they put uh, a significant amount of support around you as you're learning to code. 
uh, and then they often uh, support you into that first job. Now, some of these programs like the uh, uh, Lambda School, I think, out in San Francisco, uh, and some of these other programs, they'll actually hire you into a temp job uh, and then help you place you into a final uh, destination once you've shown a company that you can actually meet the skills and requirements that are necessary to be be successful. I might have some of the names wrong, but basically these programs like that are emerging that are free on the front end, provide a temp job once you've graduated the program, and then will actually place you, as a temp agency does, into full-time work. Well, one of the words that appears in your book again and again is job. You, yeah. you list five jobs that you need to do if you're thinking about going to college. Now, what are the five jobs? Yeah, so we should say that a job to be done is uh, this phrase that emerged from Clay Christensen's research across the river at Harvard Business School and Bob Mesta, my co-author, about people are not trying to hire a product or service for its own sake. The, the joke I like to make is no one wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I really want crutches today. That, that's what I've always wanted is crutches. Instead, they break their leg and they need to buy crutches so that they can get around. And uh, that's sort of what a job to be done is. It's progress you're trying to make in a given situation. And it's that context that gives it meaning. In the uh, book, we uh, constructed over 200 mini documentaries of students going to college and found five jobs. And so the first one is, uh, is a very strange one. It's helped me get into my best school. And these are students who are going to college for its own sake in many ways. And they have put in the work and they believe they should get in the best as they define the best for them. And it's all about getting in. Uh, the second job is help me do what's expected of me. So this is the flip side of the help me get into my best school. Do what my my parents want me do to do. Do what my parents or want my me to do. Or my grandparents or exactly. somebody out there. Exactly. My yeah. educators, my, my counselors, teacher. whatever yeah. it might yeah. be, yeah. right? And I'm going because someone else said to, not because I'm terribly interested in the experience. Uh, the third one is help me get away. So these are students who are running from something, but not necessarily toward something. It might be an abusive stepfather, a bad hometown, something like that. Uh, the fourth one is what we call help me step it up. So these are students who are saying, uh, I like large parts of my life, but what I'm doing in this job, lowercase job right now, uh, is not who I am. And I realize I have a family coming or a mortgage to pay or some milestone that's occurred. And I just, I need to step it up. I need to be more and do more. And time's running out. I got to do it now or never. And then the last one, what we call help me extend myself. So in some ways, this is the lifelong learning job uh, where people are saying, uh, I've always, like, life's okay right now, but I've always wanted to do more or be more, and now I have the time and budget to challenge myself and learn more. And so they invest in themselves. I suspect some of the folks that take your online course about uh, how the American government should work uh, are, are in that job. They're trying to extend who they are and extend their knowledge base. Well, so let's take uh, these uh, sort of one at, the t one at a time. Uh, what do you mean by getting into their best school. Are you basically saying they should go to uh, U.S. News and World Report and look up the rankings of all the schools and, and try to get it as high up the ranking as they can, apply to them all, and, and, and go to the one that's uh, highest up? Yeah, if I said yes, everyone would say, what happened to Michael Horn? We thought he hated rankings, and I do. Uh, so don't worry. Uh, so th this is how students talk about it, importantly. These aren't the jobs that we recommend or say in a top-down. This is looking at the decisions that they actually made, not what they said in a survey, to figure out what's motivating them. And what became apparent was that a lot of students uh, would come up with the list. And some of them, many of them, base it off the U.S. News and World Re Report rankings, even if we might say that's not the best ranking for you. Uh, and some of them frame it within their context. So if I live in a rural town 
and uh, I only know people who've gone to the five colleges within 150 miles of me, uh, my best college, quote unquote, might be the one that's at the top of that list, if, if you will. Uh, some people who know that they want to be a doctor, for example, they might frame best in terms of best pre-med programs or something like that. So it's really best for them. And then they construct the list around it. The dangerous thing about this job is that if you get so caught up in the social pressures around why to go to college, your best list might become someone else's best list and not actually adhere to what you need in your life. And that's where the rankings can really distort uh, a lot of uh, matchmaking, if you will, and, and cause people to make poor choices that are good fits for the narrative of telling someone else what you're doing next, but not actually where you're going to spend your next four years. Well, as a former uh, parent in a situation where I had children choosing to go to college, and I had a very strong set of ideas as to where they should go to college, uh, what's the advice to people like me who, uh, you know, want to mess around in my children's lives? Uh, yeah. <laughs> how do I handle this situation? So a, a lot of the book is advice to parents to not sort of live their life through their kids, uh, but to make the trade-offs a parent th- uh, for their children so that they can make their own decisions for them. And it's to sort of say, if I recognize that my child right now is in this job, is trying to get into their best school for its own sake, How do I help them clarify what best means for them and in their current situation so that they can make a decision in accordance with them? So that means don't make the decision yourself for them and say, this is where you're going, uh, but instead help them uh, put the trade-offs in them, put the prototypes, if you will, and say, can you imagine yourself in this school versus that school? Oh, you like this one better. And maybe it's small and it's rural. Okay, was it the fact that it's rural that's exciting to you or is it the fact that it's small? And then let's prototype a few other schools so you can sort of figure out what your true north is. But don't ever respond to your questions? (laughs) This is where the parent (laughs) discount comes in, uh, which is to say a lot of times kids are not going to respond to the parents. So you got to find another trusted figure that your kid believes and trusts and looks up to. uh, But uh, you also know is going to make responsible recommendations and help guide Ultimately, you can't help your child uh, avoid the struggle. Struggle is how they learn in their lives. That's, you know, productive struggle is important. That's how learning occurs. Uh, And they won't make progress unless they go through that struggle. So you shouldn't try to take it away from them or take the friction out of it, but have someone there who's able to uh, coach them through that struggle so that they make wise decisions as they're learning. Well, do you think you should go visit colleges? I I didn't see too much of that in your book. I didn't see you know, the, uh, the grand tour kind of thing, uh, uh, yeah. uh, a long list of the do's and don'ts of how to do it on the grand tour. Yeah, so. I mean, I think the grand tour thing is, is, is a notion, uh, it's incredibly persuasive to people as they make their decisions, but it doesn't necessarily actually tell you a lot about the school outside of what tour guide you happened to get on that day and was it sunny or not when you took the tour. And so it's very easy to get false positives out of that process. I don't think it's a bad thing to do to get used to what does a college look like and what should I expect college to be? And then to start to say, okay, if I really got excited by a certain school, let's find a couple more to visit just to test was, was it, what, which variable, if you will, was it that's persuading me? And then I can build my list around those variables that are actually important to me. 
Uh, and there's a lot of great tools now out there. Naviance is a software tool. Uh, some of the rankings guides like Barron's and so forth that allow you to say, hey, if, if, if small school religious purpose, I'm making some of these criteria up and, and a couple other things are really what's important to you right now. Great. Let's sort based on that and create your list accordingly. So I think visits can be a useful tool, but they shouldn't be the end all be all. How about this gap year? You mm. you talk about the gap year. In fact, I think you sort of almost recommend the I gap do, year. I do, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, this strikes me as a potentially dangerous year. So I want to hear the case <laughs> for the gap year. The case for the gap year. So, um, and I'll tell you up front, uh, I was skeptical of a gap year going into writing the book. And when I finished it and I said the research process and I said to my wife, I think a gap year, many more students should be taking one. And she yelled at me, you really had to write an entire book to figure that out. Uh, so, so she was pro it and I was sort of anti it. And uh, what I took away from it is that many students, they just don't know enough about who they are and what their passions are and their purpose. And so when I say the word gap year, I think in the U.S. we think gallivanting around Europe and just backpacking aimlessly and sort of hitchhiking and things of that nature. And it's not what I mean by the term. What I mean is doing a series of immersive experiences that teach you something about yourself. And so taking a couple jobs, taking a couple of online courses, perhaps maybe even a course at the community college near you, uh, signing up for some coding boot camps, doing a series of things that cause you to learn more and invest in yourself in short bursts that don't cost a lot of money and yield a lot of information about yourself. And then also time limit it. So I don't think the gap year should become a five-year gap year where you just keep going indefinitely learning about yourself, but it should be framed by some amount of budget that you're willing to spend on it and some amount of duration of time that you're willing to commit to it, probably not much more than a year. Uh, and then at the end of it with a clear set of, oh, okay, this is what I want to do next and I'm going to go apply to do that. The danger in the gap year, well, let me say the positives in terms of a research perspective first. The positives seem that when you do research at colleges and you control for demographics, grade point average, test scores, and the like, students who have taken a gap year on average do better than those who haven't. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's because they've sort of gotten over the burnout, they've developed a sense of what they want to do, they come in running into the school. Harvard even recommends now when you get in that you take a gap year in their admissions letter. They tell you don't come for a year. Uh, and but the danger is if you take that gap year and then you never go back to school or you never invest in yourself in a more deep in, in deep way, then you can sort of just end up working at Burger King for the rest of your life and never moving beyond that. And for a lot of low-income students in particular, that's the danger of the gap year. And so my recommendation, I think, is that actually I would love to see colleges innovate to create first-year experiences that have these sets of curated experiences so that you can learn more about yourself and develop a passion and then go to into a major with a much clearer sense of why you're entering it. I don't think it has to be, in other words, a gap year outside of an institution per se. It's more about the experiences and learning about yourself than the notion of being outside of a formal program. Are some of those students who are dropping out, the 70% that are dropping out of the community college actually uh, having a gap year experience? <laughs> By default, uh, but, without the, uh, but without the thought, right, in front of it of bounding the experience in some way and having a clear set of, it's almost experiments of what do I want to learn about myself, right? I think I like X, therefore I'm going to go do X. And you know, I was, I was talking to one community college president and she said, 
oh, this is great advice. We already do this. You know, if you want to be a phlebotomist, we have an entire course up front to learn, do you like touching people? And I thought to myself, that's great, except you need an entire course to learn if you like touching people on the sight of blood. <laughs> I probably could figure that out for you in about an hour, maybe less. <laughs> and I just think we're so trapped by the course mentality that a lot of colleges innovate through courses as opposed to thinking about experiences to teach people. So I'm going to switch to your second job, which is do what's expected of them. So what do you mean? I think we, we talked about very briefly, but uh, a lot of lots of students are just sort of uh, being edged along or uh, yeah. encouraged and uh, budged in one direction rather than another. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, and interestingly enough, this is the job that a lot of people who've been through it, when we tell them it, they say, oh, yeah, that was me when I was a high school student and I hated college. Uh, it's very interesting. This is the one that a lot of people can recognize themselves in. So these are students who uh, their current experience is ending for some reason. So graduating from high school or maybe a, a, a two-year job or something like that is ending. And they view school as the next logical step. And they're doing it to satisfy or obey someone else in their lives. And they comfort themselves with the knowledge that, well, if I graduate, at least it's a good safety net and I've checked the box for what's to come in my life. But they're very apathetic about the decision. They're incredibly, uh, there's very little passion or excitement about going to school, and it's a dangerous one. And, and granted, our sample is very limited on this question, but of the sample we were able to collect, 74% uh, of them dropped out or transferred um, from the college that they went to. 54% or 55% or something like that said, uh, that they uh, uh, thought the experience was a waste of time and money. So these are the very ones that you're thinking about when you're talking about the gap. Here. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the best school job, like if you know why you're going, you should just go, right? I mean, 83% of those students love their experience. So the majority of them are, are pretty fired up and ready to go. If you're in the help me do what's expected of me, college just isn't the right step for you right now. And instead, the parent's role should be helping to broaden options for what you could do next and create a constructive next step. Uh, and that might be a short-term educational program. It might be a gap year. It might be a job. Uh, but it's a short-term next step to learn something about you and gain some knowledge and, and more importantly, maybe gain some curiosity and passion. So then the next job you have on your list is the getaway job. Yeah. I, the only thing I want to say about that is that uh, a lot of people just go to the college in their hometown or Correct. Uh, very close by. So a lot of kids don't want to get away. They, yeah. they really want to stay at home or at least stay with their friends. Yeah. And of, of the jobs that we found, this was the smallest we found in our set. And again, I'm, I'm skeptical of, of extrapolating uh, from our small number. Uh, uh, relatively speaking, but it was 9% of the stories in our sample set were in this help me get away job. And interestingly enough, the students didn't always choose correctly to get away, right? Because they would stay in their hometown because their parents said, well, we can't afford a school, you know, five towns over or, or three hours out of reach or something like that. And so they would default to a college within their hometown and they weren't able to actually get away. And what's so interesting about this job is that success is getting away and then you're in a new stage of life. You have a new job to be done, to use our parlance. And uh, if you go to a four-year school that's in your hometown with, that costs a lot of money and you take out a lot of debt, uh, or let's say you get away for you know three hours away. So I've been successful. I got away from my parents or whatever it was. And now what? 
I, I, I have to do something next. And so I think uh, a lot of times we just, college isn't factored in to handle these students for obvious reasons. So there should be other ways of getting away. Yeah, you need to saying. get away, and that's important, right, uh, for, for a certain subset of students. And once they get away, the now what question looms large, and we should have some sort of on-ramp to help them uh, land smoothly afterwards, if you will. So the one, the one that I did had trouble understanding was the step it up job. Mm -hmm. So what do, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so the step it up job, think about this as the adult learner more than the high school student, where uh, these are students who are saying, what, I, what I'm doing right now is not who I am. I can be better than this, and I'm ready to, it's now or never, I gotta move for this. And so the way I tend to think about it is, when you saw it in the high school student, they were really likely to hire the military to help them step it up. They weren't likely to hire college. Uh, because the military was sort of like, I'm not all I can be. The Army or the Marines or whatever will turn me into the person I should be. Uh, for the adult, it was a different situation. They had just gotten married. They had just had a kid. They had just bought a new house. Something like that. A life event would occur. And then they would look around and they'd say, this minimum wage job isn't cracking it anymore. I've got to step it up and be something bigger and better. And that means I need to go back to school to get this, uh, to get this, uh, this knowledge and skills or certifications and get a better job. Yes, I met an Uber driver in Portland, Oregon one day. She was uh, a very talented person and she wanted to become a nurse practitioner. She'd been a barmaid, huh, but now she wanted to step it up, right? Yep, she wanted, that's exactly right. And so she was even willing to drive as an Uber driver in order to make the money necessary to be able to become a nurse practitioner. And if you think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this is sort of the base level. And so these students are incredibly driven uh, to really do what it takes to succeed, but they want the fastest, most convenient pathway there. And if you make school bureaucratic and cumbersome and waste time and so forth, they might leave you because it's not matching up with the speed and urgency that they need in their lives. Well, now you're talking about how we need to change schooling, and you are, after all, an expert on disruptive innovation. <laughs> and so uh, this whole book just assumes the system out there as it is today, but I think you're really also saying something about the weaknesses of the system that we, that we have and how we need to change this system to respond to the actual needs of all these young people who have so many different jobs they have to do. Yeah, you're 100% right. And you know, this, the last part of the book is obviously advice to schools themselves because it's not a static environment in which uh, these students are entering. The advice right now assumes, hey, this is the way things are today. This is the advice we would give. But we hope the dynamic changes. And like I said at the beginning, I think there's a lot of new pathways that are starting to emerge that are creating radically more affordable, more convenient, more directed and faster programs into first jobs for students. And I think colleges need to respond and innovate accordingly as well. And one of the central recommendations is that schools shouldn't be all things to all people. You know, uh, community colleges, for example, I think are, are serving at least three or four of these different jobs. And my sense is that it really twists them up and causes a lot of these uh, poor outcomes because they're not optimized for any one of them. And so the quick example is uh, students who are trying to get away from an experience and trying to step it up are both clearly going to community college. And for the step it up uh, student, a guided pathway where you have no choice of courses, you jump on the major you want to be in because you know you want to be a nurse practitioner, say, and you go as fast as you humanly can through it, that's perfect. But if you're in the help me get away job and you go to a community college and you jump into one of these new guided pathway programs that are all the rage in research right now, within a course or two, you're going to realize, wait a minute, I, like I was just trying to run from something. I have, 
and you're more likely than not to find out this sequence of courses that someone else has chosen for me are not the right ones for what I actually want to do and learn and so forth. And it's just this one size fits all mentality is not going to serve both of these students well. So there's a, a new entity out there called Modern States that's putting a whole uh, year of courses uh, on, up online free, uh, which you can actually take an exam at the end of, and you can get those uh, applied to most colleges around the country. And so there's a real course that will have a real uh, credit attached to it, it, but it's free except for the cost of taking the exam. So um, it, it, do you think that something like this is – uh, got a place in this future world where I would students think so. can try things out? Yeah, I would think so. Like, I, I think of, you know, a lot of these examples that students are really still shopping, right, for the right college. And a program like that can, paired with other experiences, could be incredibly valuable because I could find out before I have to commit to the dollars and time, do I even like this? <laughs> and if I can just sample the curriculum material and so forth, that's really important. I mean, I'll give you an example. Say I say I want to be a doctor because I love working with people and healing them and so forth. It turns out that I'm going to have to pass organic chemistry. That's just a fact of whether it should or shouldn't be. It's just reality. And wouldn't it be great to be able to just quickly test out, am I any good at organic chemistry and do I have a prayer? No? Okay, well, then I better look at some other pathways that still connect to who I am and what I'm excited about, but maybe have a different uh, set of courses and set of prerequisites into that experience. And, and so I think something like Modern States or some of the MOOCs that we've seen emerge can be incredibly valuable alongside a deliberate way of investing and learning in yourself. So, and then finally, and I think that's a little related to what we've just been talking about, your final job is extend mm. themselves. And that's, that's for the, that's a life, that's your subtitle to your book too, the life learning experience that education never ends. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, and it's interesting, right? Because I think choosing college is a purposely misleading title in that way, because we're really writing it for the lifelong learner. Uh, and, and, you know, what I would love is a parent picks this up they do it to help their their child uh, through this experience. And then they realize, oh, wait, I have my own decision point in front of me. And, uh, you know, and, and what they might see in the help me extend myself is this is a relatively low risk situation where I get to invest in myself. You know, taking an online course, listening to a podcast like this one is a great way to get a little amount of information and extend yourself. Uh, you might not want to invest in a four-year program uh, if you have if you're paying college tuition for uh, for two or three kids at the same time, for example. But being able to recognize your stage and what you're trying to accomplish can help you choose better yourself. And many people do this to have an avocation as well, yes. even if it's not related to their occupation. They may find something new in life that's meaningful to them. That totally. And I would say, you know, when I when we came across this job, I told my co-author, Bob uh, Mesta, I said, well, I've never experienced this one in my life. And he said, sure, you have. You know, you, you hire books and podcasts and little online videos all the time to keep learning, whether it's directly about your profession or whether it's about, you know, I, I'm, I'm very passionate about health and wellness and, and working out. I hire continuing education in that field all the time in, in short dosages uh, to become smarter and smarter in that area. And uh, Bob pointed out to me that I'm extending myself all the time. I just hadn't thought about it because, no, I'm not, you know, taking out another mortgage to go back to Harvard. <laughs> so, well, thank you very much, Michael, for this fascinating uh, overview of this important book, uh, Choosing College.
how to make better learning decisions throughout your life. Uh, I hope you sell a lot of copies. <laughs> Thanks very much, Paul. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. I've been speaking with Michael Horn, Senior Partner of Entangled Solutions and Distinguished Fellow at the Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovation and the author of Choosing College. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.